watch. They would not be missed for a while. He pulled the iron gate open, crushing the long grass. Alizy, he said, and she stepped through, lifting her chin and shivering. They stood together by the road as finches hopped and darted in the hedge. Luke saw that his mother was frightened. She stood quite still, hugging herself, small inside her cardigan. We can catch the bus, he said, as if everything were normal, but his thirteen-year-old voice was breaking, and nothing sounded normal. Maman, let's go. Looking into her eyes, he saw the chasm. People were scared of the insane, and thought it was because of what they might do, but Luke knew really they were scared of that gap behind their eyes. Luke wasn't frightened. It was she who had to live there. He would have done anything to save her. And he still prayed for her, even though his arguments disproving God's existence were louder these days than the prayers. He prayed, and couldn't help believing that if he did something right, perfectly right, she might get better. Maman, on y va. She glanced at him and smiled. Her skin had a pinkness, the flush of sunlight, as if the blood had begun to flow, and Luke felt the power of rescue. They crossed the road to the bus stop. When the bus came, they climbed onto it and sat in silence as it took them away. Three days before, they had sat together on Seston Asylum's bare patchy lawn in their splintering chairs among the dandelions, with a tangle of pipes crawling down the walls behind them and the chimneys on the Victorian Gothic roofs above. Hélène had given him one of her most assured looks and said, I read in the Times that the National Gallery in London is to make an exhibition of French painting. Cézanne, Renoir, j'aimerais te le montre, Luc. Luc's first thought was that to see paintings, if you wanted to, to read books, listen to music, was the very minimum for a tolerable life. Even his father listened to music. Later, when they said goodbye, and she left him to go back to the day room and do whatever it was she did when he was not there, he said quietly, Shall we go to Lincoln? Look at pictures in a gallery. But his mother was a Parisienne and a snob. Lincoln, so provincial. She leaned close to his ear. Londres. Londres? Luke could not help half laughing, bested by a woman and a feeble one at that. Shh! Her hair was absurdly messy. She was standing in her slippers on the lino by Rose Ward, her candlewick dressing gown gaping and scorch-marked bruises on her temples from the electroshock therapy. Soft slippered footfalls defined the patients at Seston. The nurses, orderlies, doctors, all had shoes in which they might leave, but tapped or slapped the lino. The patients' feet were all but silent. Their voices might be loud, sometimes they were very loud, but they were not grounded and could not be heard. En train, ce n'est pas très loin. She was right. By train it was not far at all. The nurses at the reception desk did not look up as he left through the mesh cage at the entrance, or as the door banged behind him and the catches locked. He had been visiting his mother at Seston since he was five years old, 
He came and went as he pleased. Even as he collected the timetables at the library for his mother's escape, Luke felt the weight of the odds stacked against him. He made schedules, lists. Leave Seston, 10 a.m. London train, 11.07. He had contingency plans. Event of police? Lie. He knew that the greatest danger was not the authorities, but his mother herself. Taking her away from the hospital and her medication, she would be jolted from the familiar and vulnerable to a thousand horrors. As the day approached, he didn't dare remind her of their plan, in case she let it slip to one of the nurses. It was his alone, his dreadful secret. But Luke believed that if one had the blessing of sanity, then self-doubt was cowardly. And so great as his fear of disaster was...